So we have a brand new topic today. We've finished our brief introduction to the seerah of the Prophet وسلم, his life, his biography, and now we are going to talk about something completely different. Today we're going to talk about a science of Islam called fiqh. Fiqh. And I want to give you a little bit of an introduction to the word fiqh first of all, and then we're going to talk about what part of fiqh we're going to talk about. So the word fiqh originally in Arabic means understanding. It doesn't mean any specific type of Islamic knowledge, just general understanding of the religion. Generally knowing the religion of Islam. And from this is an amazing hadith, and I want you all to remember this hadith, the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that he said, Man bihi khayra, uh, If I'm not mistaken, this is the hadith of Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan. Whoever Allah wants good for, he gives him fiqh in the religion. Can you explain that hadith to me? What do you understand from that hadith? We have a, this is a class without public attendance. I just have my kids and two cameraman and what have you. So just to get some interaction from the class. What do you understand from that hadith? Whoever Allah wants good for, he gives him fiqh of the religion. He lets him understand the religion so that he can do it right or she can do it right yeah so if allah wants good for you he gives you understanding of islam he lets you understand islam properly and that means that if allah has blessed you to be able to know your religion properly that's a really good sign isn't it that's a sign that allah loves you and allah wants good for you that he gives you understanding of your religion what do you think then that means if you don't have understanding of your religion if you don't know anything about Islam Yeah, I don't want you to say Allah doesn't love that person But it means the person has to make a change, right? You have to realize that you can't live your life without knowing what Islam is You can't live your life not knowing things properly You have to do your best to learn as much as you can And if you make an effort to learn about Islam Allah will give you good in your life Man Whoever Allah wants good for, Allah gives that person fiqh, meaning gives them understanding of the religion. But that word fiqh is not the word, we get, how we're going to use fiqh today. Okay? Fiqh today, and I'm just going to explain it in a way that the kids can understand. So it's not a definition for the adults. We're not going to talk about al-adillah, tafsiliyah, and things like that. We just want to give an explanation that the children can understand. So the first thing is that fiqh is all about actions that you do as a Muslim, okay? It's all about actions that you do as a Muslim. So it's not about belief. We did belief in our first kids class, do you remember? We did who is your Lord and what is your religion and who is your Prophet That was belief, right? So we're talking about actions you do. Can you give me some examples of actions that you do? Praying, so you'd expect to learn how to pray in fiqh. Wudu, good. Give me some more actions. 
Okay, the adhkar that you do, very good. The dhikr you do, maybe after the prayer or the, when you go up. Sorry? The sunnah prayers, yeah, okay. Very good. What about zakah? How to give charity and things like that? So that's part of what you find out about in fiqh. And fiqh really talks about the rulings of those things. What do you have to do and what must you not do? And what's recommended for you to do and what's disliked for you to do and what is it allowed for you to do? Those are really the five basic rulings of everything in Islam, right? Either you have to do it or either you must not do it or either it's recommended or either it is disliked or either it's permissible. But I need you to explain them to me because we might not understand those. So let's just start with the simplest one. Let's start with the fard or the wajib. What does it mean for something to be an obligation, to be an obligation in Islam? Fard or wajib, what does that mean? You have to do it. So what happens if you do do it? What do you get? You get reward, okay? And what happens if you don't do it? You get sin, very good, excellent. So if you do it, you get a reward. And if you don't do it, you get a sin. Let's do the opposite. What's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is what if you do it, you get a sin. And if you don't do it, you get a reward. What do we call that? What do, what's the Arabic word for that? Haram. Very good. Haram. Okay, we say tahrim. The ruling of, of it being haram. When something is haram, it means if you do it, you get a sin. And if you don't do it with the intention of getting near to Allah. So someone says, do you eat pork? You say, no, I don't eat pork. You say, why? Because Allah told me not to and I want to do what Allah told me to do. So you get rewarded for not eating it. But if you ate it, then you get the sin of eating it. So can I ask you a question? Are all the obligations the same? And are all the haram things the same? So there are some things that are extremely, extremely haram. And the sin for them might even take you out of Islam and stop you being a Muslim. And there are some things that are less and some things that are less and some things that are less. Can you give me an example of something that's an obligation in Islam? You must do it. Prayer. The five. Which salah though? Salah is a wrong answer. Because when you say salah, there are recommended salahs. There are the five daily prayers. Yeah, the five daily prayers, as-salawatul khams, the five daily prayers. Some people call it namaz, the Arabic word is salah, yeah, the Arabic word is salah. But we're talking about the salawatul khams, we're talking about the five daily prayers. Those are obligations. Okay, give me an example of something that's haram. I give the example of eating pork, give me another example. Give me an example of a major sin, something that is the, among the worst of the things you can do. And you kids need to think about it a lot. Disobeying parents. Ah, being bad to your parents. If you have any from your kids, let us know. Killing, okay, very good. That uh, you kill a soul without right. Uh, making a partner with Allah, excellent. Making a partner with Allah, very good. 
shirk, making a partner with Allah. That's the worst of the worst, right? Followed by uquq al-walidain, being bad to your parents, right? Okay. So what about recommended? What does that mean? I want to understand what it means. If I do it, what happens? And if I don't do it, what happens? If I do it, I get rewarded. And if I don't do it, I don't get sin. Okay? So if I do it, I get extra reward. And all Muslims, we want extra reward, don't we? We want to do as much as we can. But if I don't do it, there's no sin. There's no blame on me. Could you give me an example of something that's recommended to do? The sunnah prayers, okay? So, as-salat, uh, as-salawatu nafilah or as-salawatu ratibah The regular sunnah prayers you pray every day, like before dhuhr, after dhuhr, before fajr, after maghrib, after isha, things like that. Those regular prayers that you pray, the sunnah prayers. This example recommended, do you have one? Sunnah fasting, so fasting on a Monday and a Thursday, fasting three days in the month. So fasting outside of Ramadan. Fasting outside of Ramadan is generally recommended. Is there a, there's an example of fasting. I want to give you a little riddle, okay? Fasting outside of Ramadan, okay, has nothing to do with Ramadan and it's obligatory. And it's in Islam, yes. <laughs> we, no, we don't do Christianity here. <laughs> Sorry? No. It's not obligatory. Fasting Arafah is a sunnah, recommended. Three days in the month is recommended. It's got nothing to do with Ramadan. It's not making up Ramadan or anything like that. It's got nothing to do with Ramadan and it's obligatory. Of Shawwal? No, it's not the six days of Shawwal. Your kids got any idea? It's a tough one, huh? A fast outside, no relation to Ramadan. It's not making up Ramadan or catching up Ramadan or missed Ramadan. It's got nothing to do with Ramadan and it's obligatory. And you've never done it, for my kids, you've never done it before. Fasting for an oath. If you swore an oath, like if you swore an oath, and never, if you swore an oath and you said that by Allah, walillahi alayya an asuma kada, it's a right for, for me in the sight of Allah that I'm going to fast this day. Or if Allah gives this to me, then I will fast this day. That's not a good habit to get into making that like, kind of condition. Like if Allah gives me this, I will. But that's an example anyway. Okay, <laughs> very good. All right. So we were talking about now disliked. What does it mean to be disliked? It's not haram. Okay, but it's not recommended. So what does it mean in terms of if I do it, if I don't do it? If I do it, what do I get? It's disliked. I don't get a sin, I don't get a reward for doing it. I don't get a sin if I do it, but I don't get a reward for doing it. And what about if I leave it? I get a reward for leaving it. So something disliked is what you get a reward for 
if you leave it. You get a reward if you leave it, but you don't get a sin if you do it. Can you give me an example of something which is disliked? Okay, right now you're doing something. It's not disliked. Well, I mean, apart from the fact that you're doing while the teacher's talking, but never mind. You're drinking water. Okay, how could you drink water in a way that's disliked? No, no. Left hand, yes, some of the scholars said it's disliked, but the stronger opinion is that drinking with the left hand is not allowed. It's haram. Do me, do me one thing. Stand up for a second. Stand up. Stand up. Okay, now do you know the answer? Exactly. So what's disliked? Drinking. Okay, very good. Drinking water. Drinking water, standing up, for example, is an example of something. If you do it, it's not haram, but if you avoid it to get near to Allah, you, you're trying to get reward from Allah, and you sit down to drink water, then you're going to get rewarded for that. Do your kids have any extra ideas? It's not disliked. That one's permissible. But because you see, dislike, just because something's recommended, the opposite of it doesn't have to be disliked. Does that make sense? Like if it's recommended to drink water in three sips, that doesn't mean that it's disliked if you don't. It's permissible if you don't. That's recommended. Eating with three fingers is recommended. But not eating with three fingers is not, is not disliked. A lot of lot of things that I did. There's a lot of things that I disliked. Um, praying, for example, praying when the adhan is going on, starting your prayer in the middle of, while the adhan is going on, except for Jumu'ah, except for Jumu'ah. That's haram, actually. When people, when salah is starting and people quickly pray their sunnah on the side, I believe that's haram. That's not disliked. It's haram. Because the Prophet ﷺ told us that when the iqama goes, there is no salah illa al-fariqah, except the obligatory one. Anyway, so now we've got an idea. We've got one more left. Which one have we got left? So we've done the one you get rewarded for doing and you get sin for leaving. The one you get sin for doing and rewarded for leaving. The one you get rewarded for doing and no sin for leaving. And the one you get rewarded for leaving and no sin for doing. What one's left? <laughs> you got mixed up. Okay, let's go again. Let's go again. So you've got the obligatory, wajib. The wajib, you get rewarded for doing, you get sin for leaving. You've got haram. Haram, you get sin for doing and rewarded for leaving. Okay, recommended, you get rewarded for doing and no sin if you leave it. And disliked, you get rewarded for leaving it and no sin if you do it. What's left? Okay, you, you didn't use the right word for it. You, you're right, but you, used, you didn't use the right word for it. You used the word halal is not the right word. But you, you're getting, you, you are thinking about the right thing. You get no sin if you do it and no sin if you don't do it. And no reward if you do it and no reward if you don't do it. 
It has no sin or no reward in any of it. What do we call that? You use the word halal, but it's not really called halal. It's called a mubah, permissible. Permissible, yeah? So permissible, you don't get any sin or any reward either way. What's the example? Go on, give me an example of something that's permissible. Going shopping? If you're shopping, you're not buying something haram, or you're not going somewhere haram to buy it. And you don't get reward for going, you don't get a sin for going, you don't get a reward if you don't go, and you don't get a sin if you don't go. I mean, it's mubah. You do it or you don't do it. Okay, very good. So now we've had that little bit of a basic understanding. We can now say that fiqh relates to the rulings of the actions that we do. Okay, so we're trying to understand what's haram, what's wajib, what's recommended, what's disliked, what's allowed in the actions that we do as Muslims. That's a very simple way. Again, for the adults who are watching, that's not the full explanation of what fiqh is. But for the kids, it's enough for now that you under, that's a, a good start right for now and it will give you a good understanding. So we're looking at the actions that we're doing as Muslims and we're looking at what the ruling of those actions is. In terms of our actions, the very first pillar of Islam is to say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. I bear witness there is no God worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Generally, we don't deal with this in fiqh. Why? Usually, I mean, there are some things that we deal with in fiqh, but usually, because it relates to what? It basically relates to your belief. So there are some things we deal with about it in fiqh, uh, but generally speaking, the first thing that we really deal with in fiqh is what? The prayer, the salah. That's the first thing that we deal with in fiqh. And that's what we're going to be doing in these lessons with you guys. We're going to be spending a few lessons talking about how we pray. And we're going to cover it really comprehensively, beginning, before you pray, how to actually pray your prayer, what you do after your prayer, and also how many prayers you pray and when you pray them and all that kind of stuff. For this lesson today, we're going to be talking about the time before you pray. What the scholars call shurut al-salat. They call it the conditions of praying. In other words, what has to be ready for you or what has to be done before you actually start praying. And we always start with that. And the reason we start with it is because there's no point teaching you how to pray if you haven't done the things you need before you start to pray, right? So this is probably going to take quite a few lessons. I'm not going to say three lessons or something like that. It's probably going to take quite a few. But today we're going to just talk about what we do before we pray. So let's try and get an overview right now. How many things do you think you can name that you have to do before you pray? Now I want a number first. I don't want you to name any. I want, or you think you can name two things. How many do you think? That you have to do before you pray. Or that have to be done, even if you don't do them, but they have to be done before you pray. I don't want you to name them. I want you to...
So, I mean, some of the scholars mention nine, some of them mention ten. So I think two, I think, I think two is a little bit, um, yeah, I mean, I think two is a little bit, a little bit rubbish, to be honest, <laughs> if I can be quite honest with you. Six. Okay, that's better. No, you can't tell a lie, though. It's not allowed. If you know, how many do you think you know? Cameraman, how many do you think you know? Things that you have to do or have to be done before you start to pray. And before you say, Allahu Akbar. Oh, three. Okay, three. Good. Can you beat him? No? Four or five? Four or five. Okay, let's start. We start with you. How many do you know? Okay, wudu. Very good. So before you pray, you have to have wudu. Okay, good. Before wudu even, what do you have to do? If we're talking about wudu-related things, what do you have to do? Even before wudu. You have to be clean, right? So you have to make sure that your body is clean, your clothing is clean. Okay, so cleanliness of the clothing, prayer place, wudu. Okay, do you have another one? Okay. Intention, very good. Yeah, intention, that's correct. That's one of them. Okay, for a girl and a boy. For a girl, you said, you were very clever because you said for a girl the hijab, but if you made it general and just said covering your aura, yeah, like covering your, your parts that you're not allowed to show in the prayer. There are things you're not allowed to show in the prayer, covering those things. That's very good. So you guys, I think, got four so far. Wearing clothes, okay, wearing your clothes, wearing your proper clothing. Okay, good. Okay, but perfume is not a condition of the prayer. Like if you don't perfume yourself, it doesn't make you, it doesn't make your prayer correct or incorrect. Can anyone get any more? Mashallah, see, you can think that now we got five. Face the Qibla. Yeah, you have to know where the Qibla is and face the Qibla. At least in the obligatory prayers, yani. and even in the voluntary prayers. To it when you start. Yeah. Okay, ghusl, yeah, true, but ghusl, we put it with wudu and call it tahara, purification, just getting, being clean, like being in a state of wudu. Like if you need ghusl before, you need ghusl before. You guys, got you guys got many of them. Actually, there are some of them you would not have got because you wouldn't have think people would talk about that, but being a Muslim is one. That's the first one the scholars of fiqh. That's the, that, that's the first one the scholars of fiqh mention. All the books of fiqh, the first one they mention is Al-Islam. Because you can't pray or your prayer won't be accepted if you're not a Muslim. Right? There's another one like that. Let's see if you can get it. There's another one they mention like that, like Islam. What else do you have to be? Who else's prayer wouldn't be accepted? So obviously, obviously, so we all know, right, to, to, be, to be able to pray, you have to be a Muslim. To be able to pray and for your prayer to be accepted by Allah, you have to be a Muslim. And that's obvious. We, alhamdulillah, it's class, it's class, of, class for Muslims. We might have some non-Muslim guests who are watching. Uh, that's fine. But we talking about in terms of praying as a Muslim, you have to be a Muslim to start. What else do they mention? 
of someone whose prayer would not be accepted. So a Muslim whose prayer would, would not be accepted. Okay, good. So that's, that's the third one. Hold that one. Hold that one. Keep that one in your head. Hold that one. No, no, just hold it. Hold it. Before the age. Aql. Okay, you have to be sane. Like you can't be mad. You can't be majnoon. Someone who's who. No, I'm. I'm not talking about. I'm. I'm being serious. Like somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Subhanallah. There are some people who are very sick. I'm not making fun. I'm being really serious. Like some people who are very sick. They don't know what they're doing. Subhanallah. Like uh, we ask Allah for afu al afia. We ask Allah to keep us safe and keep us healthy. There are some people who became so sick they don't know what they at all what they're doing. They don't know where they are. They don't know. Even some of them don't know their names or don't know. What to do or don't remember anything they've said So there's no doubt these people The pen doesn't write When we say the pen doesn't write What does it mean the pen doesn't write? The angel doesn't write any sins for them Because these people are sick people They're not well Until they become well again And they know what they're doing But until then, that person So you have to be able to pray You have to be what we call sane in other words, you have to be able to understand what you're doing. Now we bring the third one in, which you mentioned. The age. Now, what age do you have to be to be able to pray? Now here, okay, ten. Then what did you just pray Isha for? Seven. Wrong. Wrong. Okay, five, but five is... Okay, good. Good. So... Younger than 10, your prayer is not accepted. So, Allah, you're just doing dhulm on your kids, man. <laughs> dhulm for them. <laughs> That's oppression. <laughs> no, no. Their prayer is accepted younger than 10. Type. Very good. Your answer is completely correct. Whenever the young person understands, whenever the young person is old enough to understand what they're doing, their prayer is accepted. Okay, this is what we call in Arabic, tamiz, the age where you understand things. Is there really a set age where someone understands things? There's not. Like you can't, I mean, some of the scholars say five, some say six. They all agree that by seven, a, a child with normal development, who is just, you know, normally and healthy and everything, by seven, a child will definitely be mumayiz. Definitely the child will understand the difference between right and wrong. But some children, very young, by three, four years old, they really know what they're doing. I'm praying to Allah, I'm, you know, and they can do the prayer and the actions properly. But generally speaking, before seven years old, before seven years old. We know the Prophet ﷺ, he told us that you your parents have to start telling you to pray at seven. And they have to discipline you if you don't pray by 10. And that's Hijri age, not your Miladi age, not your, not your age in June, July, August, September, October, November, December age, but your age, which is Hijri. Yeah, and many of you, I bet loads of the kids who are watching don't know your Hijri age. That's a little homework for you. Find out your Hijri age. Find out when were you born in the Hijra date. So if you, don't, if you want to know how to do that, you can just go on to online and you can type uh, Hijri date converter. Hijri date converter and put your birthday in. 
Apparently, I was born in Ramadan. Do you know that? My kids didn't know that. Yeah, apparently, I was born in I was born in Ramadan. I think the first of Ramadan, something like that. Don't ask what year. <laughs> Not in Hijri. I don't know the year. To be honest. Um, okay. So. So. When you reach seven years hijri, when you reach seven years hijri, your parents have to tell you to pray five times a day. That includes fajr. From seven years hijri, Yusuf, Yusuf, wake up for fajr. Wake up for fajr. Abdullah, Abdullah, wake up for fajr. Yeah? And so on. Okay? That is... uh, that's what your parents have to do when you reach seven hijri. Okay? And seven hijri, every hijri year is, is 10 days less than a normal year. So, in other words, when you are like six years and nine and a bit months, or six years and 10 months roughly, then they, by normal, by the you know, Western dates, then your parents have to start telling you five times a day. They have to tell you. But if you don't listen at that age, they don't force you. But by 10 years old, hijri, hijri, which means something like nine years and nine months, something like that, you have to, you have to, they they can discipline you and you get punishments if you don't pray, if you don't pray five times a day. Okay, I completely lost what I was saying now. Yeah, tamiz, okay? So that is the age at which a prayer is accepted from, from a child, at the age where they know what they're doing. So you've seen little children come into the masjid, haven't you? And they're making sujood when everyone else is making, everyone else is standing there and the little kid is turned around and is on one leg and he's put his hand on his head. And, yeah? So that child is probably doing a sinna tamiz. They're too young to actually understand what they're doing. What would you do, though, if there was a child... What would you do? What would you do if there was a child who was older, like nine years old, and you saw them doing that, like standing on one leg and turning around and looking up at the sky? Yeah, we say that that child needs to learn how, that that child should know how to pray. By seven years old, by six to seven years old, you should definitely know, you should definitely be able to stand in the prayer like, you know, like almost like an adult would. But very young children, you see, little babies and things, they come and they, little toddlers, they come, they pray, they turn around, they run off, they come back again. They are too young for their prayer to be accepted. So is there a benefit in bringing them to the prayer? Yeah, they learn about Salah, they learn about the Masjid, they come to learn how to pray, they watch people praying, but their prayer as a prayer isn't accepted until they know the difference between what they, they understand what they're really doing. Okay, so we got Islam and you have to be sane, you have to know what you're doing and you have to be old enough to understand the difference between what is right and wrong. We mentioned purification and that's mostly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how to become clean to pray, how to be clean in order to pray. And one thing you didn't tell me about, one of the ones you didn't tell me about is the time. Yeah, you have to check the, the prayer time. 
Yeah, you can't be praying. And I know some of you, yeah, like Isha time has been and gone and you're asking, when are we going to pray Isha? Is it Fajr yet? Is it Maghrib yet? Have we prayed Maghrib? Yeah, you have to know the prayer time before you start to pray. Uh, other than that, we mentioned quite a lot of them. We mentioned covering your aura. The aura is the private area of your body that other people are not allowed to see. And in prayer, it's the place you have to cover during your prayer. So in prayer, it's different to normal. So in normal, there's an aura, like there's a, you, obviously you have to cover certain parts of your body. And then out in the prayer, there are different things you have to cover, more things you have to cover in the prayer. Okay? Um, what else did we see? Making sure your clothing, prayer place is clean. We didn't really talk about that. That is kind of separate to you being clean. Making sure that your clothing and the place where you're going to pray is clean that your wudu was done properly. And what else did we not mention? Mentioned facing the Qibla, and you mentioned Niyyah, having your intention. So those are the main ones that I wanted to talk about. So right now, we're going to talk about getting yourself clean for the prayer. Okay, getting yourself clean for the prayer. And the first thing we have to talk about is water. The reason we have to talk about water before everything else is because... To get yourself clean for the prayer, you need water. So have you seen how fiqh works? It's kind of like you have to step backwards. Like you start with, I want to pray. Okay, but to pray, you have to have certain things that have to be there before you pray. Okay, so before those things have to be there, one of them is I have to be clean. But to be clean, I have to have water. So we're going to start by talking about water. Did you have a question? Yes, but the sand is not the main way that you get yourself clean, is it? It's like a backup plan, right? The sand, tayammum, it's like a backup plan. The main way that you get yourself clean is with water. Water is the normal way that you get yourself. You make yourself clean. And I think that is like a, that's like all human beings, right? Like the normal way that you clean yourself, you shower, you bath, you wash yourself, you clean dirty things from the carpet is water, right? That's the basic way that we get clean, is with water. So really, what I want you to understand, and I'm not, again, for the adults who are watching, I'm not going to go into loads of detail. I just want the children to understand some things. I don't want them to understand all the details. Is really, there are really three types of water. And to be honest, if you said two, two is okay. But I'm going to say three just to make it easy to understand. Okay. There is water that cleans things. And there is water that doesn't clean things, but it's pure. And there is dirty water. So there is three types of water. Okay? There is water that cleans things. You can use it for wudu. You can use it to clean something dirty from the carpet. Yeah? You can... Uh, use it to take a shower or a bath. And there is water that is clean, but it doesn't clean things. And the water itself is not dirty, but it doesn't clean things. And there is water that is dirty. And the water that is dirty 
or sometimes we call it impure or najis. It's, it's impure, it's, it's dirty. That water, you must never use it for anything. And that water, you must never get it on your clothes because even if you get it on your clothes, you have to clean it. Okay? So let's talk about these three types of water. The first one is easy. Water that you can use for wudu. Can you tell me what kinds of water can you use for wudu? Oh, here. So plain, normal water. Okay? Tap water. Uh, what other kind of water? Bottled water. What else? River water. What did we do one time when we went to... What did we go the other time when we went... When we were in Scotland, what, what did we do? Spring. Where did we make wudu? Spring water. Okay, well, we didn't make wudu from a spring, but never mind. From the sea. Sea water. What else? What do you love when it happens? And you like to play in it? Okay, rainwater, but that wasn't what I was thinking of. But yeah, rainwater. What do you really love that happens or doesn't happen very often, but sometimes in the winter? Snow. Yeah, snow. Water, melted snow. No problem. All of these types of water, including seawater, including seawater, all of these types of water, all of these types of water are allowed for cleaning things with. That means you can make wudu with them. You can, uh, you can use them for a bath. You can clean something dirty. If you've got something dirty on your clothes, you can clean it with them. Okay? Okay, so now my question is about the other two types of water. The one that is, it's clean, but it doesn't clean you. And the one that is dirty. What makes water change? What would make water change so you can't use it for wudu anymore? Smell could change. The taste could change. Or the color. The color. So any water that changed its taste or its smell or its color yeah, if the water changes its taste or its smell or its color, then it's going to change with one of two things. Either it changed with something because of something pure. Give me an example. Coca-Cola. You can't make wudu with Coca-Cola. Really. Are you 100% sure about that? Shall we check? Shall we check the fatwa? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You can't make wudu with Coca-Cola. Why? It's clean, it's not dirty. I mean, if, if, if you, like, for example, spill it on your prayer place, you don't have to, you know, clean it before you pray. But it's, it has a different taste. It has a different color. And I, I don't know if it has a different smell, but anyways, it ha so it changed. It no longer became water anymore. Juice, you can't make wudu with orange juice. Or Fanta. You can't make wudu with tea or coffee. Yeah, so the point is that it changed its smell or its color or its taste, but it changed with something that is itself is clean. It's still clean. No, blood is not clean. Blood is impure. 
generally speaking. Okay, so what does that mean? If the water changed its smell or its taste or its color because of something which is Islamically unclean, when I say Islamically, because I'm not talking about clean as in bright white, you know, just your mom just washed it in the washing machine clean. I'm talking about Islamically, there are things which are clean and things which are unclean. Now you gave me the example of blood. Blood is an example of something which is unclean. Another example is obviously when you go to the toilet, what comes out is unclean. Yeah? That's really important. And, and in fiqh, we have to talk about these things because if somebody doesn't know that and they, for example, went to the toilet and they maybe spilt something on their, on their trousers and they might pray and they, their prayer wouldn't be accepted. So it's really important you understand in Islam what is not clean. We're not talking about dirt or mud. Mud in Islam is clean. What's the proof mud in Islam is clean? Because you can make tayammum with it. Yeah, you can, you can actually make your backup wudu when you don't have any water. You can make it with soil. So it's, we're not talking about dirty as in soil or as in mud or as in grass. All of those are clean. But we're talking about things like when you go to the toilet, what comes out, that is unclean in Islam. It's impure in Islam. Blood is impure in Islam. Like the saliva of a dog as well. Like if a dog licks you, that is unclean in Islam, yeah, that's unclean in Islam and that is so unclean that to clean it you have to clean it seven times the first time with soil, you have to take sand or soil and you have to rub it in first then seven separate times you have to wash it yeah, it's difficult to sorry no, there's no other animals like that except for the, the, the pig also is unclean but the pig, it's not, it's not clear that whether I don't remember, to be honest, whether it has that same ruling or not. I can't remember, to be honest. But the dog's saliva, definitely, you have to, seven times you have to clean it. The first time with soil. That means if the dog licks your uh, cup or your bowl or something like that, you have to take sand or, or soil and you have to rub it in. Then six more times you have to wash it with it to get it clean. Yeah, only seven times in total. No, no, one time with the mud and the rest time with the water. You can do it with the washing machine because the washing machine will wash it like many times separately. But you have to first rub it with the soil and then put it in the washing machine. Okay, so we talked about the unclean things. If those unclean things fall into the water and they change the smell or the taste or the color of the water, then that water becomes dirty. It becomes dirty. Okay, now we're, we're going to get there. I know, I know the adults are going to have really big questions, but I'm just going to try, like, try to keep it simple for the kids. Okay? Even the river, yes, if the, if the smell and taste and color changes. But generally, lots, what do you think will mostly change? Small amounts of water or big amounts of water? Like, for example, if uh, somebody, let's say, uh, yeah, if someone, had a, if someone had to go to the toilet, right, and they, and they went to the toilet, let's say, 
in the sea, for example, right? Would the sea become impure? Would the sea become dirty? No, there's just too much water. It just gets spread about and then it becomes clean again. Yeah? What do you think will mostly become unclean? What do you think will mostly become unclean? Like small amounts of water or still water. Yeah? Like puddles, uh, like bath water, like a bottle of water. Those things would become unclean, right? They would become unclean. And unclean water, dirty water, that you have to keep away from. Because if you even spill that water on you, then that whole water is unclean. Right? You'd have to clean, you'd have to wash your clothes again and change your clothes. Right? So yes, for the adults, there's lots of exceptions and rules and regulations and do this and don't do that. But we're just trying to make it simple and easy for the time being. So what have we learned? We've learned how many types of water? Three. Pure water, which you can use for wudu, which is rain water, sea water, tap water, bottle water, snow, sea water. I said sea water. What else? What? Zamzam water, you can use it to make wudu, yes. But it's a bit of a waste if you, unless you have lots of it, it's a bit of a waste. You should drink it instead. Yeah? The second type we said is the water has changed its smell or its taste or its color. Okay? Either it changed because of something clean or it changed because of something dirty. If it changed because of something clean, so it became like Coca-Cola or orange juice or tea or something like that, then you can't use it for wudu. But if you spill it on yourself, you don't need to change your clothes. Okay? Unless your mom says you don't look clean or something like that. That's different. That's not Islam. We're not talking about Islamically. That's a different reason. Yeah? Okay? And then, uh, if it changed because of something dirty... So even a small amount of water, you can't trust, you know, like if you spilt something dirty into a small amount of water, you have to throw it away because it's just too small. It, it, will, it will change one way or the other. You know, if you have a small amount like a bottle and let's just say, for example, you had some bleeding from your gums or your mouth or something like that and it came into the bottle, you have to pour the water away. You can't use that water now because it's going to affect the water. But large amounts of water are probably not going to be affected unless the colour changes or the smell or the taste. And we've seen that. Sometimes you go by a river and the smell is really bad or the sea where there's a sewage pipe and you go next to that water and the smell is really bad. No, you can't use that water because the, the colour changed or the smell changed or the taste changed. Okay, good. So now we have our water. The first thing we need to do is make sure that our bodies are clean. This is before we talk about wudu, okay? This is before we talk about wudu. We have to make sure that our bodies are actually clean. So mostly that means when you go to the toilet, you need to make sure that you clean yourself properly after you go to the toilet. So what do you have to clean yourself with after you go to the toilet? Water. That's which type of water? So not Coca-Cola, yeah? You have to clean yourself with the water that you can use for wudu, the water you can use for cleaning, the pure water, which is like 
bottled water or tap water or sea water or rain water and so on or snow whatever you have to clean yourself with water okay you have to clean yourself how much how much do you have to clean yourself with water until you're clean that's the perfect answer you have to clean yourself with water until you are clean as much water as is needed for you to be clean so for example when you put a tissue there's no more there's nothing dirty comes out on the tissue you're completely clean so you have to be clean what about if you don't have water okay stones is true that's what in, in that but that's 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 very rare now these days what do people use these days instead of stones toilet tissue toilet paper okay tissue toilet paper yes in the olden days they used to use stones they didn't have andrex yeah they didn't have toilet roll in those days yeah so they used to use stones if they didn't have water they used to take three clean stones because remember the earth is clean the earth generally like i'm not talking about if something dirty fell on it but the earth that Allah, how Allah made it it's clean right so you take three separate stones or three separate uh, toilet tissues you have to use at least three okay at least three how many do you have to use as many as you need to be clean but you have to use at least three okay if you didn't use three even if you were clean after one you have to still use three until you're clean okay is it a good idea to use tissue or water water is better definitely some of the scholars they actually said the best thing is to first use tissue or stones and then water why did they say that do you think because the no because the tissue nearly because the tissue gets rid of the dirty things yeah the tissue gets rid of the dirty things so when you pour the water it doesn't go on your it doesn't go on your hand or it doesn't go all over the place so you clean the most of it with the tissue and then you use the water at the end but anyways whichever you do the main thing is that you have to be completely clean and i know it's not a very nice topic to talk about but at the end of the day you can't pray unless you're completely clean when you went to the bathroom so it's very important it's also important particularly for the boys that you don't rush when you go to the toilet because boys tend to sometimes rush and then sometimes they don't clean themselves properly and then their clothes become dirty and it's also very important that you go to the toilet sitting down not standing up standing up is disliked for a boy to go to the toilet standing up it's disliked because usually you will dirty yourself in some way and if it's an emergency if there's no other option you don't have a choice like you might be in the in the countryside in the desert or something that you know you don't have a choice but generally speaking you should be sitting down to go to the toilet and it's really sad that these days have you seen you know sorry to say but how the people who are, you know a lot of the non muslims how when they go to the toilet I, you you cannot you, you, even you run out of the bathroom and you want to be sick how they you know subhanallah they don't clean themselves they don't use tissue they don't use water they stand up and go to the toilet disgusting like Allah Azza wa Jalla said, the polytheists are dirty. They're dirty in their heart because they don't worship Allah Azza wa Jalla alone and they can't even clean themselves properly when they go to the toilet. 
And that's why you should never be embarrassed about Islam. Islam, like there was a... Do you know that story of the Sahabi? There was one Jewish man in Medina made fun of him. You heard that story before? He made fun of him. He said to him, your prophet taught you everything. He even teaches you how to go to the toilet. And he was making fun of him. Like he was saying like, oh, I see, you know, he taught you how to go to the toilet. He said, yeah, ajal. He said, yeah, he did teach us how to go to the toilet. He taught us to use at least three stones and he taught us not to use bones, animal bones, and to clean yourself and not to use dried animal dung. Because in the past, that's what they used to use as well. They used to use dried animal dung, you know, that come the, the waste that comes from the animal. Or they used to use dried bones. But the Prophet said, no, you're not allowed. You have to use stones. Nowadays, we have toilet tissue, which is fine. You can use toilet tissue. But you have to use at least three pieces and you have to be clean at the end. You have to be clean at the end. And it's better for you to use water or to combine. Use both. Use toilet tissue and Water, no problem. And water, okay? Yeah, wipes these days are fine because wipes are basically tissue mixed with water, aren't they? Yeah. Like toilet wipes or baby wipes are basically water mixed with tissue. But again, you have to use three of them. You have to use three of them. As for water, no, you don't need to use any tissue with water. If you don't want to, you can use just water. Okay, so it is really important that you're properly clean when you go to the bathroom. That's so important. Okay, so that's the first thing that we wanted to uh, we wanted to talk about. Okay, you also need to make sure your clothing is clean. Yeah, you also need to make sure that your clothes are clean. Meaning, when we say clean, we don't mean that they're not muddy or mud doesn't make a difference. But we're talking about Islamically clean. They don't have any blood, anything from the toilet on them, any dirty water that fell on them, and so on. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, how long have we been going for so far? 54. Okay, then I think that's a good place for us to stop. So what we're going to talk about next week is we're going to talk about wudu, how to make wudu properly. And we're going to also talk about ghusl as well. Ghusl. You have a question, yes. Yeah. Hmm. We'll delay that. That's a very good point you made. But I'll talk to you about that when we talk about covering yourself for prayer. Okay. So when we talk about how to cover yourself in the prayer, when we talk about how to cover yourself in the prayer, then we're going to talk about do you have to wear thobe or not? Can you pray in trousers? What kind of trousers? You know, things like that. Does the lady have to wear abaya? Does the little girl have to wear abaya if she's not, if she's not an adult? Like, we're going to talk about all those things when we talk about how to pray, inshallah. Okay? That makes sense? Okay, did anyone have any questions? What about, we've got a few people, the reason I'm getting so many answers today is we've got a few people who are from home, but they're messaging. So we, have, we can get some messages from them. Yeah, so what about if you accidentally swallow blood, yeah? So you must try when, when, if you get blood in your mouth, like for example, because you have a nosebleed or you have your gums bleed, 
then you should try to spit it out. But if it goes accidentally down your throat, Allah doesn't blame you for what you couldn't help. Allah doesn't blame you for what you couldn't help. No, yeah. I mean, try not to. We're okay. All right, inshallah. So what we're going to do, inshallah, is we're going to stop there. And inshallah ta'ala, we are going to next week talk about wudu and ghusl. How to get yourself clean with wudu and ghusl, inshallah. Okay? That's what Allah made easy for me to mention. And Allah knows best. Wa salatu wassalam ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share, and you can visit muhammadtim.com. Dot com.